I speak to you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. It's hard to feel sympathy for this barn guy. You know, the one in the parable whose harvest is so great that he doesn't know how to store it all. All those crops, what's a rich guy to do? As notorious B.I.G. rapped all those years ago, more money, more problems. Having so much stuff that he doesn't know where to put it. Ridiculous. I mean, ridiculous. Who here can identify with that problem? That's what we call a first world problem. You know, like when you're driving to work in your own car and you stop at Starbucks for a soy latte and then you pay for it with the app on your phone and you drive away and you realize, oh, the barista used 2% not soy milk. That's a first world problem. Or perhaps you go on vacation and you find that you can't stream your Netflix account where you are. So annoying. Such a first world problem. You get the idea. Perhaps you've even used that phrase, it's been around since 1979, believe it or not. But it has only spiked in usage in the last couple years and it's easy to see why. After all, we now live in unprecedented luxury. Not all of us at the same level, of course, but still lots and lots of us have access to unbelievable goods. We have computers that masquerade as phones. We have goods and services available around the clock to us. We now can go to the grocery store and get fruit any season of the year flown in from halfway around the world. We have an unbelievable number of choices for any product that we want. Houses being built now are on average two and a half times the size of those being built in 1950 and our families are just getting smaller. And the self-storage business is booming. There are now more self-storage facilities in our country than there are McDonald's and Starbucks combined. So, even though each one of us might not feel particularly wealthy, I know I hardly ever feel wealthy, we live in a place and a time awash with consumer goods and choices. And compared to so much of the world, we are all, well, pretty rich. And that might make us feel a little bit sheepish as we turn to Real Simple Magazine to help us organize our overstuffed closets. Or we look to the latest time management guru to help us organize our overfull schedules. Well, at least I can identify with that description. But if we read our Bibles 
carefully. This all might make us feel more than sheepish. It might make us feel downright uncomfortable. After all, being rich in the Bible, especially in the Gospel of Luke, is not just cause for concern, it's actually bad news. Think of the Magnificat. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. The Beatitudes, blessed are the poor, but woe to you who are rich. Think of the rich young man who asks what he must do to inherit eternal life and then is sad when he realizes that he cannot, he will not sell all he has and give it to the poor in order to follow Jesus. Think about that rich man who ignores poor Lazarus at his door. He allows his dogs to lick Lazarus's wounds, but he can't give him even a morsel of bread when he is hungry. Lazarus ends up in heaven. The rich man, the other place. I could get, go on, but I think you've got the idea. But does all of that mean that we are out of luck? Does it mean that we've got to sell all we have and pronto, no mistake? In other words, is it bad to be rich? Well, today's gospel makes it seem that way, doesn't it? And lots of preachers like to preach it that way, I'm pretty sure I have. Especially if we preachers can imply that the rich would do well to give away some of their money to the church. And far be it from me to suggest you do otherwise. Still, today's gospel is not as obvious as it seems. There is a rich farmer, yes, and he has had a particularly good harvest this year, but that's not the problem, I don't think. The problem is his response. His land yields greatly, something to be grateful for, but his first thought is not gratitude to God for this abundance, nor is it generosity that his good fortune ought to benefit others as well. No, our guy's first impulse is worry and anxiety. What should I do? What should I do for I have no place to store my crops? And then just as quickly, barn guy pivots to how to manage this great yield all for himself. Notice how often he says, I and my. Notice that he never consults another, not God, not a friend, no one. He only talks to himself. I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Notice that he thinks he is in total control of his own life, prepared to relax, eat, drink, be merry, forgetting the end of that saying, for tomorrow you shall die. Barn guy is blessed with great fortune and great wealth, 
but his only impulses are anxiety and selfishness, narcissism and self-reliance. His wealth has led him into isolation where he neither shares his worries nor shares his joys. Not with God, not with anyone. So I don't think it's wealth, per se, that the Bible and Jesus condemn, but it's the temptation that wealth surely leads us into. The temptation to believe that we are in charge. It's all down to us. We don't need anyone else to help us, and we don't need to help anyone else. Our lives are God's. Our goods are not a gift from God. No, they are ours. Ours, ours, and I'm going to hold on to them tightly. We earned them, and we don't have to share. And if you look at the other rich guys I listed earlier, you'll see the same isolation. The rich young man walks away from Jesus because he'd rather have his stuff than a relationship with God. The rich man spurns Lazarus because he's so isolated by his wealth that he doesn't even think to thank God or to serve the poor. In life, he was isolated in his mansion, and in death, he spends eternity isolated in Hades. And in fact, the parable that we hear today is told because a man demands that Jesus tell his brother to divide the family inheritance with him. Already, wealth has led to a severing of relationship, which is what causes Jesus to share the parable of the rich fool. So Jesus has some hard, hard things to say about wealth, which all of us here have cause to listen to. Remember the camel and the eye of the needle. It's not a metaphor. Being wealthy provides real stumbling blocks, both to individual pursuit of holiness, because who bothers to rely on or to worship God if we think everything we have comes from ourselves. But being wealthy also threatens the social order. For if we hoard our wealth and we leave the poor at the gate, then woe to us. For the kingdom of God is not made for individuals who make it on their own. The kingdom of God is a community. It's the beloved community. We all go together. So wealth is a real stumbling block. I don't want to minimize that. but I do have some hope, and it's this. There is one, maybe two, rich guys who get it right. Think about Zacchaeus. Remember him? Little guy, tax collector, rich. Upon meeting Jesus, 
Zacchaeus changes all his ways. He promises to give away half of his possessions to the poor and to repay anyone he has cheated four times what he has taken from them. Now, I doubt very much that Zacchaeus's generosity impoverishes him. I think he's still probably doing pretty well. But this new way of seeing the world creates community, causing him to rely not only on himself, but also on God. So grateful for what he has that now he has to share it. So willing to be in relationship with others that he will extravagantly pay back anyone he has wronged. Here, wealthy Zacchaeus escapes the temptations of wealth, of selfishness, of self-reliance, and instead creates community and is rich towards God, as the gospel says. He's rich towards God by being rich towards neighbor. So, wealth. More money, more problems. Our first world problem, whether we've already got the wealth or we're spending all of our time thinking about getting some wealth. Not many people find a way to be both rich and faithful. It's hard. It's too easy to be beset by anxiety. It's tempting to build bigger and bigger barns to protect our stuff. But right after this parable, Jesus shares this lesson. I mean right after this parable. Jesus says, consider the birds. They neither sow nor reap. They don't gather into barns, yet God feeds them. Consider the lilies. They grow without toil, and they are beautifully clothed. How much more important are we to God than birds and flowers? In essence, Jesus tells us, do not fear. For can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? It's tempting. It's tempting for we humans to be greedy. It's tempting to worry, to think it's all about ourselves, and that if we don't help ourselves, no one else will. And it's perhaps especially tempting for those of us who already have a lot. It's tempting, but it's not faithful. There's not much good news for the rich in the Bible, but there is good news for birds and lilies. and for those of us who trust as they do. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.